Hello and welcome to The Spectator's Books Podcast. I'm Sam Leith, the literary editor of The Spectator, and this week my guest is Benjamin Dreyer, who is the copy chief... If I may, Dreyer. Dreyer! He is a man who corrects things. Here we go. (laughs) Benjamin Dreyer. I apologise, Benjamin. Benjamin Dreyer is the copy chief at Random House, the American publishing company, and he is the author of a new book called Not Dreyer's English, But Dreyer's English, An Utterly Correct Guide to Clarity and Style, to which we can now add pronunciation. Benjamin, what's your job? You're a copy chief, a copy editor. What, what's the difference between that, say, and an editor or a proofreader? Right, well, as, as a copy chief, I supervise a fairly large department of people called production editors, and production editors are the people who hire copy editors and proofreaders. Copy editors are the people who, after, you know, after an author has spent who knows how many years writing a manuscript and then given it to uh, their editor, and the editor and the author have gone back and forth and back and forth on it for who knows how many drafts, and ultimately decided that the book is everything it is supposed to be insofar as pace and plotline and characterization and, and all those very big ticket items that, that they need to attend to. It's then given over to my department to be assigned to a copy editor. And copy editing is the thing that I used to do before I, uh, before I became a copy chief. The copy editor is the person who, when given the manuscript, goes through it at a very nuclear level, very you know down to the, down to the details as opposed to the big ticket things that have been taken care of. And, and you know at, at the very rudimentary level, you're making sure that everything is spelled correctly. You're probably addressing issues of consistency with punctuation. You are looking for grammatical errors in books that are expected to be written in a standard grammar, which is not all books. And then the the thing where it gets a bit more interesting is you're doing your best to enhance the writer's work by looking for things that might be better or tighter or clearer. You are certainly, uh, all authors have pet words. They all have different pet words, but all authors have pet words. Some, many novelists are extraordinarily fond of the word murmur. They also like people who nod. And your job as a copy editor is to point out to an author that this is the fifth time somebody has nodded in the last three pages. And you're, you're doing that sort of thing. There are also the way people's brains work. There are often inadvertent puns and inadvertent rhymes. And you might want to query that back to the author. And, and, and essentially what you're really trying to do is you're trying to help the writer turn the book into the best possible version of itself that it can be. The only time that copy editors goes wrong is when a copy editor steps in and decides to impose their own notion of what constitutes good English, which does not necessarily jibe with a writer's intentions. A copy editor who won't listen to what a writer is doing is is going to wreak havoc. And this book then, is it, because it's not quite a sort of reference book, is it? I mean, it's a distillation in a way of, of all the stuff you've found. Is that how you'd Put it. I mean, what what sort of thing do you see it as being? Yeah, I mean, I, I set out essentially. I wanted to write, I, I guess, what you would call a style manual, and and I I wanted to bring to this book the perspectives and the experiences that I have that are not the experiences that somebody who is, let's say, a professional linguist or professional grammarian might bring to the page. Though, of course, grammar is part of my arsenal. But what I am is a copy editor, that person who who goes around and mucks around in somebody else's manuscript, and and you do that sort of work, and you find yourself sort of stuffing up your sleeve all these tricks. And, and, and I just thought I would disgorge and dislodge all those tricks from up my sleeve and put them down on the page in hope that people might find them amusing and people might find them 
helpful. So the book does work, I'd like to think, on some levels as a, as a reference book, but it, it's also, it's rather chatty and it has anecdotes in it and it has little jokes and meditations. And, and, and essentially, it's just sort of an invitation to people who like words to think about them and how we wield them and, and how to wield them better. That it being an invitation, I mean, anyone who writes at all about language will know that there is no quicker way to bring the you know, assholes out of the woodwork, or assholes, as you'd correct it yes. to. Why do you think usage excites so much kind of anger and kind of self-righteousness and defiance in people? Because you're quite a, you know, as you say, you're someone who listens to what a writer's trying to do. You're not a sort of absolute prescriptivist at all. Yeah. I, I mean, and I'm not. And, and there are the people that, you know, we call prescriptivists who are the ones who can tell you what things should be and how they should be. And then you have the people who are uh, called descriptivists who basically say language seeks its own level and their job is to observe that, not push it around. So I like to think that I'm a sort of a prescripto-descriptivist because there are things that I like and there are things that I think are better than other things, which I guess is another way of saying I think that there are things that are right and things that are wrong. But as a rule, and, and what I've tried to learn over the years, I'm sure I was a very sort of stiff-necked copy editor when I, when I got to work. But it really is, it's about enhancing the language. It's about expanding the language, not narrowing it down. But what happens is the thing that excites all that anger and definitiveness from some people is, I don't know, I guess people greatly prize a sense of control. And they think of all the things that they were taught when they were in, in grammar school, elementary school, you know, the younger grades. And when people challenge that, they, 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 get, they get furious when somebody like me comes along and says, no, it's perfectly fine to begin a sentence with and or but. And I remember somebody responding to my saying that once by saying, well, in informal writing. And some people just can't be reached, so I don't try. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, as you rightly say, you have kind of pet peeves. And I mean, I, I mean, one of the, you know, very prominent descriptivists, you know, he's a professional linguist, Stephen Pinker. I remember reading his The Sense of Style, and about halfway through, he says, you know, language finds its own level, language does its own thing, language is, but comma splices are just wrong, and I hate them, and that's, you know, I will correct them in my students' emails if I see them. You know, what's the, what's the watershed for you? At what point do you turn into a foaming prescriptivist? Yeah, no, I mean, and that's three pages away from his saying that people who insist that you can't call the monster Frankenstein are the worst people on earth. It's like, dude, you need to make up your mind how you want to play this game. And the thing is, you make up your mind your way, I make up my mind my way. And so the things that I get sort of insistent about are just sort of simple things like, I mean, I endorse the series comma, the Oxford comma, the serial comma. I think that you must use it. I think you must use it all the time. And I insist that you apply it. And, and people will fight you about that. And the thing is, in the United States, people who work in books love that comma. Journalists tend to be trained not to use it ever. So you sort of lob grenades at one another. And the funny thing, of course, is in, in, in this country, after whom you know, the, you, the comma is named, you don't use it much anymore. No, it's weird. The Oxford-style book has it, but nobody yeah, but else nobody, does. But nobody else, but nobody else uses it. So, I mean, that's a comma that I love. And it's not simply for the insistence on having my own way, of course, that I, I make my life by having my own way, or at least attempt 
attempting to. It's it's because I think that that comma lends clarity. Uh, if you're giving a list of items and you separate the last two items with a comma before the end cherries or end Emerson or end Jane Austen or whatever the thing is at the end of the sentence, what you're saying is that the last two items in that list do not have a special relationship that sets them apart from all the items that have, that have preceded it. So it serves a purpose. As for instance, the rule against beginning a sentence with and or but, so far as I'm concerned, serves no particular purpose. So if I want to enforce a rule it, it has to be more than whim or caprice. It has to be because I think it's useful for clarity. Sure. Conversely, there are some things that even those who think quite hard and long about grammar and usage can never seem to quite... I mean, for some people, it's which that. For some people, I mean, I, I know I spend an awful lot of time with quotation marks and where the punctuation mark goes if you're if it's a sentence and a half that you're quoting inside the quotation mark, are you going to full, full stop outside or not? And I... You know, I mean, you disagree with me on commas and punctuation marks because you're a barbarian. But yes, you know, what what are the ones for you? Is it? I think you put somewhere it's the comma two at the end of a sentence. Yes, people ask me lovely questions all the time, and the question is, if if the last word in the sentence is two t o o, should it be preceded by a comma or not be preceded by a comma, and when? And my response to that is truly and sincerely, whichever choice you make, the other one is probably going to look better to you. I, I have I tried to re-research it when I was writing the book because I remember, you know, there are notions of when you do it and when you don't do it. And I couldn't get them to make any sense to me. And I just decided to endorse the rule that mostly leaning toward don't use it because one comma less is, you know, one comma you can use somewhere else more usefully. But also, you know, the key thing is just listen to your own ear. And, 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 and then if your copy editor comes along and says, go the other way, then listen to your copy editor. Now, I should also tax you on this thing because it is, you know, you, you've adapted your book, haven't you, for the I did. British market? So. I did. I, I, I not only agreed, but I cooperated and I participated. You did. But you st- you're sticking to your guns on this question of whether if you quote a single word, I mean, it's one of the big transatlantic beefs, you quote yeah. a single word in a, in a sentence in quotation marks, you're, you're sticking your guns with the American style, which is you always put the sentence final punctuation, you know, the full stop at the end of the sentence goes inside the quote. He said he had eaten some, quote, carrots, full stop, unquote. Yes, this is the thing. I mean, that's American style, you know, that the full stop goes inside the, the quotation marks, or should I say the period goes inside the quotation marks? Yes. You would prefer that I say the full stop. You can say period. Like, our, like, our readers you'll, you'll, yeah, our audience it's, is global. It's, it's the funny thing. They do sort of know what you're talking about. And that's just the American style. And, and there are people who will occasionally say to me, can you undo that? And it's like, do I run the English language in the United States? No, actually, I don't. The thing that I have learned is You're not talking yourself down. You no. Know, the thing that I the thing that I have learned about the UK style, particularly the the putting the full stops outside the quotation marks is it's beginning to make sense to me. And I find that a bit frightening. Oh good. Yeah. I'm so pleased. I, mean, I know like, some people we have Pinker on our side now. Yes. Yeah, it's you know, like when Lennon and McCartney wrote yesterday, close quote, period. It's like they didn't write a song called Yesterday that had a period at the end of the title. And I get it. I, I really do. But I think it's going to have to be left to future generations of copy editors to decide whether or not they're going to surrender our hard-won American style. 
Well, that's good. Um, yes. I mean, at least there's, there's a little bit of movement here, which is more than yeah. we've had with Europe. Um, <laughs> and Guns N' Roses is something else that bugs you, another British export. Oh, yes. I mean, the thing about, the thing about proper nouns is you have to respect them. And Guns N' Roses, I can't quite remember how it's styled, but if I, think I were styling it, right. yeah. if I were styling it, it would be Guns Space apostrophe N apostrophe Space Roses, because the N presumably stands for the word and. And so it should have an apostrophe on either side of it. But the thing about proper nouns is they insist on maintaining their own integrity, and and you need to you need to to honor that. And um, if it don't, look them up. Yes, uh, I mean there's a particular problem with with one of our celebrated newspapers in in the United States, the paper of record, the the Lady of Grayness, that <laughs> it, it insists in referring to to theaters, to edifices, to use uh, they they insist on using their house style, which is that the word theater is spelled T H E. A-T-E-R. And as a generic word, I agree, that is how you spell that word. But many theaters, including most of the ones on Broadway, are spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E. That's the name of the place. You don't get to muck around with that because your sense of style finds that offensive. So when they refer to the wonderful building on the on the other side of the Thames, near, near where I'm staying, the National Theater, as the National T-H-E-A-T-E-R, my brain just screams. It's like, that's not its name. It's particularly not its name because it's here in London. So uh, proper nouns are proper nouns. You spell your name the way you spell it. I don't get to yeah. change that. It's still very paining when, when you're transcribing the name. There's a song on the Cranberries album called Yates Graves, spelled Y-E-A-T apostrophe S. That's just no good. That's barbaric. Isn't yeah, it? That's but, and yet... And yet, you know, yes. it's a proper noun. Yeah, you know, I mean, you, know I you have to respect that, you know, uh, Waterstones and Foils have dropped the apostrophes where they used. Maybe did Foils ever have one? Or did I'm it just be sure. Foil apostrophe S? I think it did have an apostrophe. Right. Well, they might, they, might even still do it. Yeah. But, they, they, yeah. they, businesses like to get rid of apostrophes. So yeah. Waterstones has no apostrophe. Foils has no apostrophe. Uh, Barney's, the great clothing store in, in New York, has no apostrophe. And, and that's its name. Exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, you... you you know, in, in the course of being, you know, more relaxed about things, you do quote one of the great, I mean, again, rather, as you said, tactfully, you know, the, the grey lady rather than yes. that newspaper. <laughs> you don't mention the name of the magazine, but you do mention the magazine in magazine where you say you describe its practice of putting diaries on things like, you know, re-elect and coordinate and, and preeminent and preeminent and spelling teenager with a hyphen. This magazine, which we won't mention, you say, you know, it's good to have a house style, but you shouldn't have one that's visible from space. Yes. I mean, why is it like that? Did, is, is it true, that story, that at one point the, edit, the copy chief got the approval to change it and stop doing that crazy stuff, and that the editor said, OK, but before he could put it in writing, he dropped dead? I, I don't know. The, the person who is, is the center of that story is, is a person I know named, uh, named Mary Norris. And, and I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look up what that story is. And I like your version of the story as much as any possible version of the story, perhaps better. Makes the, it less true, probably. The thing is that although you tell a good story often enough, it becomes the truth, I find. Ah, um, principle of linguistics. Exactly. But the thing about New Yorker style is... Oh, we said their name, didn't we? We said the we name did. of the it's magazine. We did. It's all right. We'll redact it. We'll okay, redact please. It. Yes, you beep that out. 
there's a certain self-adoration in maintaining a style that is not matched by anybody else. And I and, and, well, it's, and it's setting the language. You know, yeah, and, and and to me, what that's doing is it's making sure that anytime anybody reads anything you publish, they know damn well paragraph by paragraph who published it. It's like nobody I know spells focused with two S's in the middle of it. I, I don't I don't I don't even I don't even think over here where you do so many very seldom extra letters where I would sort of be taking them out. I don't think <laughs> you do that. But th- that and and yes and continuing to hyphenate teenager and 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 using those double dots on all sorts of things. It's a bit show-offy. And I really think I mean the for the style that I try to set for, you know, my own style. It's like, I don't think anybody should ever be able to pick up a book that I copy edited and say, "Oh, yeah, that's one of his. I see the ticks and the tells and the tricks that, that he likes. It's like, I don't have any, I think. I might stand to be corrected. Uh, I mean, in my writing, of course, I have endless ticks. But in what I try to do for other writers, the copy editing should be invisible. And, and you're there to support the writer. And if the, uh, if, the, if the author wants to use the occasional comma splice, my job is to make sure that I might raise the subject of whether I think it's effective in that particular place, but not simply to say that it's wrong. And I may not write over much with, with comma splices unless, of course, I'm having some stream of consciousness as we're having right now. But copy editing should be invisible. The only way you should be able to recognize that, that, that I've copy edited a book or that Random House has published a book is that it's good. It's the, I mean, I was interested you say you know Mary Norris. I mean, I, I have a sort of fantasy that the people who are in your line of work, the kind of select group of people who set style books and things. I mean, do you kind of meet up and, you know, bitch each other and say, you know, come on. You no, can't well, still be doing that shit I mean, with the diaries. The thing is that... Are you rivals? You know? one, one, of the, one of the great things about Twitter where I I spend either a lot of time or too much time or the right amount of time is that it affords you the opportunity to meet people that you might not otherwise have met. And that includes authors in my own house that there's no particular reason why I should have a personal relationship, but you strike one up. People who are in the same line of work as you, so other copy editors and word people, and and all kinds of people. So I, I met Mary, as I've met, you know, a, a friend of mine who's a chief lexicographer at Merriam-Webster Dictionary Company. You meet these people online, and maybe you 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 like one another, and then maybe eventually you do meet in in real space. I've known Mary online for a, a, a few years at least. I met her for the first time only a couple of months ago when she was publishing her new book, which is this wonderful book called Greek to Me, which is about her fascination both with the country immediately now. and with the language. It's so charming, um, which, is, which is, I think, my over-favorite adjective, but I prize charm. And she invited me to do her sort of opening night act at the bookstore where her book was getting launched. So she and I did the, you know, the Q&A conversation back and forth. But I had by accident met her just a few days earlier. And the, believe it or not, there's a conference of copy editors. Imagine 500 copy editors in a hotel. Yeah. Well, well they have a the UK equivalent, the Society of Editors and Proofreaders, meet yes. up once a year. It, it's, it's, it's a, a double it, shindig with the Society of Indexers. Yeah, it, strongly it recommend. Must be wild. It's absolutely incredible. Yes, yeah. but um, yeah, no, that was the first. That was the first time that I, that was a you know I just met her and 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 happily sometimes you do meet people and it, it isn't quite what you dreamed of. Uh, but for for the most part, I find that people I've known online have gotten sort of used to. They've gotten to me. We meet one another, and it's like, oh, this is really good. You know, present company included. Well, very nice of you to say. 
can I ask about writers who's, you know, you've talked about respecting a writer's particularity and, you know, you've got some very good stories in the book about writers who either come back at proofreaders or, there's, I mean, the one I'm thinking of most is the sort of rather humbling encounter with Rick Russo. Yes. Um, which seems to have been a kind of life lesson for you and one that might be worth sharing with other copy editors. But There's a thing that copy editors fixate on, which is that if a writer writes a sentence that is something sort of like, uh, with the use of quotation marks, good morning, comma, he smiled. Copy editors leap on that. They leap on that with the notion that you can say something with a smile or you can say something smilingly, but you can't smile a couple of words. So copy editors, we all have it in our heads, it's like, do something about that. And I wasn't Rick's copy editor, I was his production editor, so I was supervising the copy editing. And the copy editing did a brilliant job on, on, on this manuscript, a novel of his called Straight Man. And, um, and he was grateful for the copy editing, but... He had for some reason been in the Random House offices and had been brought to my office, and I met him. And in those days, I had on the door of my office a saying from a wonderful writer and editor who works at that magazine we will not name called Walcott Gibbs. And his aphorism, which copy editors tend to love, is try to preserve an author's style if he is an author and has a style. Now... If you're a copy editor, you're, you may choose to view that rule as you're giving me free reign to decide that you don't have a style, so watch what I'm going to do to your writing. Anyway, so Rick visited me in the office. We had a nice little chat. I didn't necessarily know that he'd paid attention to the sign until a couple of weeks later. Uh, the copy editing was done. He was reviewing it. He, he calls me. I pick up the phone and he's there back in the days when a phone would ring and you wouldn't necessarily know who was on it. And he says, uh, he says, Benjamin, would, would you agree that I'm an author? And I sort of stopped and I, I thought I have what? Uh, and I said, yes, of course, Rick. And he said, would you agree that I have a style? And I thought, okay, something's about to happen. And, and, and I said, yes, of course you do. And he pointed out that throughout the manuscript, his copy editor, the person I had hired, had in all the instances where he had written something like, good morning, he smiled, um, had tried to correct that and make it good morning, he said with a smile or good morning, he said smilingly, or even just busting it up into good morning, full stop, he smiled, and he said to me, he said, look, he said, if I'm willing to admit to you the truth, which is that my wanting to do this thing that I want to do is absolutely barbaric, will you allow me to do it? And I thought, well, you know, of course. I mean, I... I As he said, you value charm. Yeah, all, yeah I mean, <laughs> writers have long since learned how to wrap me thoroughly around their fingers. But it was a really easy point, and the, basically the point ultimately is it's your book, Anyway, so he had his way, and but it, it, it's a much more diplomatic version of the Chandler story, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. Uh, the um, when I split an infinitive, God damn it, I mean it to be split. But obviously, I have carried that story around with me for for over twenty years because it changed my brain. It was a really important lesson for me in meeting authors far more than halfway. And in, in supporting them. And the thing is, I would still, given the opportunity, attempt to dissuade him from doing that. But when he would respond politely and diplomatically and with the undercurrent of, I think I'm going to do it my way anyway, it's like you adapt to that. 
So I, I used to be really sort of definitive and bossy. And when I set out to write the book, I still had a lot of that definitiveness and bossiness in me. And, and I didn't like the way it was coming down on the page. So really, the act of writing this book, I, I think... It's made me a better copy editor, and I'd like to think, though it's nobody's you know, particular concern or anxiety except mine, um, I think it's made me a better person, uh, a little bit more embracing, a little bit less stiff-necked than I used oh, to be. That's a very nice thought to think. Do, can you turn it off? If you're reading, say, I don't know, an obvious example, be Cormac McCarthy, are you kind of knuckles whitening on the page as you think, he needs some punctuation in here? I mean, I mean, the thing is, when an author persuades me, and, and I don't mean me, the copy chief, when an author persuades me, the reader, that the author is doing what the author is doing eloquently and with a purpose and, and the way, you know, the, this, this is the way I write, I don't have to like it. But I tend to find that I do like writers who write the way they write. I love to read Cormac McCarthy. You know, his choosing not to, to set dialogue in quotation marks. It's like, well, you could take about two pages to get used to that. And, and the thing is, he can do it because he writes really strong, beautiful dialogue that you recognize as dialogue. And you also recognize that, that different people speak in different ways. Uh, writers who are not so good at dialogue need all the quotation marks <laughs> they can use because you can't tell one speaker from another. If I'm won over by a writer, the copy editor turns off and the person who enjoys turns on. But for instance, I'm also the person who will go to the movies and, and I remember going to see um, My Week with Marilyn and there was one scene in her bedroom and on her night table there's a prescription bottle of pills that's on screen for maybe a second and a half and I noticed that the name of the drug was misspelled. <laughs> And and afterward, I was I was commenting on that to my fellow as we were as we were leaving, and he said, not for the first time and not for the last time. He said, it must really hurt to be inside your brain sometimes. <laughs> it's well, it's like, a pleasure being inside your brain. I'll be briefly today. Yes, thank Benjamin you, Benjamin Dreyer. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, we very much hope that you'll subscribe on your podcast provider of choice and or rate and review us. Well, especially if you liked it. If you hated it, don't, don't feel you have to review it. And equally, if there's something that you wanted to ask us about, something you think we could do better or something you enjoyed, please do send us your feedback to podcast at spectator.co.uk. Thanks again for listening. And please join us for our next episode.